Hello and welcome to Datum. Ravi, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Um, I mean, it's a wonderful weekend to stay indoors. The sun is shining <laughs> and the clouds, there is not a cloud in sight, but of course we're staying indoors. Absolutely. The show must go on. Um, this is episode uh, six of season three. Uh, we're continuing the theme uh, of the moment, uh, theme pretty much for everyone, which is coronavirus. Yep. So the last episode, we talked a little bit about remote working. Um, and this time around, we're going to bring it a little closer to home and we're going to be talking about the peripheral impacts of coronavirus and specifically the opportunities around analytics that's going to be presented mm-hmm. to certain sectors. Um, yeah, for sure. It, it's, it's quite interesting with the, um, the, 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 uh, um, the opportunity side of things, right? Because right. opportunities, maybe it sounds a bit opportunistic and like almost like disaster capitalism way, but what we're <laughs> thinking of it is in like a, a net positive as, as in how do we do like improve and take move forward and learn from, from the things we're, we're getting through in this period, right? Exactly, exactly. It's 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 almost the uh it's the rare opportunity to look into certain ways of working and certain mm-hmm. uh, concepts uh in society that we anticipate to happen in the future, but because coronavirus um is 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 a is a thing of the present, it's brought those yeah. forward. So we'll we'll go into this in more detail, but if you look at for example online learning um, you know the economic impact of having a large percentage of your population uh, on yeah. unemployment. All of these um, things of things that you know economists and you know, really novel thinkers have been thinking about for a long time, but it's happening mm-hmm. right now. And so they need to be collecting data so they can better understand whether the theories that they developed and coming up with, uh, you know, actually work in the in the real in the real world. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, hundred years ago, the the, the sort of big um, exogenous shock we had was the First World War, right? Right. That, that was right. the thing that was going on, which was, you know, the, it was a time of innovation and change, and like a lot of crap things happening. Yeah. Uh, similar, we're in a similar situation where there there is a lot of crap things happening, um, it's, but exactly. it's, it's an op- it's an opportunity to innovate and to move forward. And as you say, there's, there's the unique sort of uh, take on this side of things is we we have the te- infrastructure and technological setup. To be collecting so much data to to sort of start to direct uh, net positives in the right direction. Exactly, exactly. And just as a this is like a um, foreshadowing, a topic we're going to talk about later about climate. Um, climate scientists have actually um, put together past events that mm-hmm. uh, have caused really big impact um, on on our sort of societies we live in. And just to give you some sort of idea on the sort of scale of what coronavirus <laughs> it, it looks like compared to some of these, I'll just give you the list uh, as a very quick summary. Got the financial crisis of 2008 and nine. This is by far the smallest impact uh, <laughs> uh, to most things. You got a Spanish flu in 1918 uh, that, Slightly bigger than the financial uh, crisis in relative terms. Then you've got the energy crisis of 1980 to 81. Um, and then coming in, uh, you've got the recession of 1991 and 1992 um, as second on the list. And at the very top of the list is the Second World War, 1944 to 45. I think France actually gone into recession yeah, because they've had... Um, some of the worst economic performance since this era, 1944-45, Second World War. And coronavirus, as it currently stands, as we understand all the metrics, has almost doubled the impact of the fallout of Second World War, if we just talk about climate. And so (laughs) it's an astronomical uh, sort of change. If you look at unemployment numbers coming out of the US, we've seen um, unemployment levels that completely dwarf 
the 2008-9 financial crisis, yeah. which at the time yeah, felt yeah. like it was epic, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, and I think it's, it's, it's crazy, right? It's absolutely crazy. So uh, I guess this episode is going to be slightly different. Like we're going to uh, try and follow our, our normal format, but it's going to be more of a, a discussion and um, a bumper episode more than anything else. So, exactly, um, exactly. So let, let's kick off. Let's, let's start with the, the, the sort of economic impact as we've got a few high level umbrella topics um, that we've, we've thought through. So the, the first one, I mean, I'm linking economics and politics together. Like our world leaders, um, as much as we like to criticize them, they, they've been under the cosh massively right. for the last uh, last month or so, month, well, three months in some cases. Uh, so for example, the, the UK cabinet had a meeting on Zoom um, that they, they, they lauded it and posted on Twitter. I think the funny part <laughs> there was in the top left, you had the, um, the, the meeting ID that they were using. So of course, um, Zoom hurriedly within 24 hours released an update, which allowed you to get rid of that uh, when you're taking a screenshot of your Zoom meeting. Right. Um, Zoom, Zoom bombing became a thing as well, where people were just yeah. guessing meeting codes, just typing in random numbers and then just literally mobbing meetings. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, the economic impact's been huge, right? So we, we can start off with sort of unemployment and um, uh, people being furloughed in the UK. So furloughing right. is basically um, indefinite leave. So it's not um, like using your holiday uh, and you're not allowed to work for your employer, uh, but you're, you're, you're sort of placed on the, it's kind of similar to gardening leave, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in the UK, furloughing means that the government um, is paying 80% of your salary um and in some cases the, the the firm that you're working for will top up to 20 percent. other cases they won't yeah um so yeah well, what, what are your what are your thoughts on this tim i think yes the the impacts are felt in basically every industry right like even in even in uh, data and tech as well as um sort of the the more obvious ones you can think of which is like grocery and retail yeah i mean this this coronavirus it's a virus uh that i think is 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 it's symptomatic of the world we live in today, a globalized sure. world. And we, we, we are focusing at the moment a lot on health because I think that that does come first, you know, the health of individuals, of um, making sure uh, people's lives aren't put at risk um, unnecessarily. But the, the, the net effect is that uh, business and the world we live in is so heavily integrated into our everyday lives that when yeah. people can't go to work, and can't produce or can't do something it's going to have a big impact on the economy and if you just look at headline numbers coronavirus is literally shaking up absolutely every industry if you weren't a stable business if you didn't have a stable plan if you hadn't just received investment this yeah. is literally rocking the foundation of, of of everything you understand about your business not just this year but it's going to be for the next decade uh, lending yeah. rates all these things are going to change uh, if you look at simple headline numbers you know FTSE 100 down 30% um from January i mean that's like just 30% of the total yeah. value uh, of the entire top 100 companies removed in 3 what, months what's- What's insane about that is um, it's it's the the worst week of the FTSE was um, a, a, a worse than the dot com bubble, Black Monday, and the financial crisis in two thousand nine. Like right. it's genuinely tanking. Like I think every single stock market is g- genuinely tanking right now. Right, because it all, across the board, every company is feeling the effects. And uh, you know, we we talked about the unemployment rates of the US, but you know that that's effect is seen in every other country. Right, right. Um, for example, the travel industry. Um, massively hit like there's those um, images of airports with just planes on the runway Mm -hmm. and you just realize how many 
planes are in circulation at any one time because so many of them are on the runway. And still, if you use something like flight radar, you can see you've still got the planes whizzing around the world like um, cargo for cargo reasons and things like that. Yeah. So it, it's fascinating in that sense as well. Um, I think the the sort of other uh, long-term effect is um, you, you're seeing a lot more people not spending money because, right. you know, you're, you're indoors, right? I mean, I, I talked a bit about uh, you know, I was spending money on other things, like for example, online gaming versus you know going going out for lunch. Yeah, because you exactly. know now I'm going to the grocery store and making my own lunch at home. It's it's different. Right? You, your money is spent elsewhere, and, and for those companies that are running just in time operations, um, you know, people like who will get their resources and their food and whatever on the week off, and then cook it and then sort of run that quick operation. Those are the people that are getting hurt the most because suddenly. Supply chains are being affected all across the board. Right, right. And it's, <clears throat> and this is the, I think the thing people, you know, I'm just going to take the iPhone as a very simple example here because it's a product mm-hmm. that everyone understands. As we often do. Probably <laughs> the best product ever made after Coca-Cola, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> sliced bread, sliced bread. <laughs> okay, sliced bread, whatever it is. You take, you take something as simple as your phone, the phone we all know and love. It takes Apple on a good, you know, economy's working fine. It takes Apple a week and a half to get an iPhone from the factory line to someone's hand in the store. They do this on about 200 million units per quarter. Okay. Mm-hmm. So 200 million iPhones per quarter. And it's taken Apple almost two decades to build a supply chain that keeps that working. They have such good analytics and forecasting on predicted sales, on all these things to be able to order in advance uh, chips, to have stockpiles of certain components ready to go so that Mm -hmm. it just takes them literally two days to make the phone and a week later it's in someone's hand using it like, you know, like a replaced iPhone. That's completely gone to pot. And Mm -hmm. not only has it gone to pot, you say, okay, if it stopped for a week, well, wouldn't it just take a week to get back? Well, actually, no. <laughs> the, the issue with supply chains is they're so fragile. If you if you stop all supply chains for one week, there's so many knock-on effects on things like just-in-time delivery, where parts are designed to arrive just at the point when they're needed to use. Um, you've got mm-hmm. warehouses now sitting full of stock, which aren't able to accept more stock. So there are certain factories that can't start making more things until you know, the suppliers or the, the companies who purchase this stuff actually pick mm-hmm. it up. But those companies can't pick up that stuff if they're furloughing employment, if they don't have people to work in their factories or, you know, non-socially distant sort of setup. So this is going to have a big impact on every single consumer goods product you can think of. The only mm-hmm. thing that I think is getting away with it at the moment is food. But I think that's going to come further down the line when you have the impact on farmers not being able to have as many workers, um, you know, working, having yeah. a net negative effect on crop yield and so on and so forth. So this is like wave one. Wave two will come when things that take six months to materialize. Harvesting, right? Harvesting. Exactly. That's when exactly. it's going to hit. Exactly. Um, you know, you've got garden stores right now with 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 plants just dying. Um, yeah. You've got farms who, you know, create this stuff also just crop going to waste. So this is going to take years to come out of, and you're really going to discover what companies are made of. And, you know, you can mm-hmm. look at this almost as, um, call this the, you know, the Olympics of uh, businesses where if you're not uh, well set up, if you're not agile, if you've been putting off certain things, well, now is the time you're going to pay the price for that. 
Um, and yeah, that's just- I, I think I think you've seen a lot of companies start doing the um, their digital transformation at this time, right? They, they've sort of it <laughs> always kicked that up and like <laughs> and and started seeing like, hey, we should really we really pay attention to this, and this is a great time to it. So I was like, no, the best time to it was was four years ago when you first it had was. this idea, exactly to, to embed it into the habits of people, right? And I think exactly um, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about the social impact a bit later, but th- that's 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 really important. But um, yeah. I, I wanted to pivot this slightly to, to a more positive, and I think. Uh, what what I've been thinking about these positives uh, since reading our sort of our notes is <laughs> so many of these are first world problems. Like, oh man, this is this is going to sound really uh, what's the word uh, entitled uh, right. when we go through these because right. it's like oh, I wish you, this was happening right. uh, when of course there are, there are parts of the world that are going to be affected by this in in almost un- unfathomable ways. Right. Uh, but let, let's get it, let's get into it anyway. Uh, so, for example, I, I live near a, um, uh, a Tesco. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out when's the right time to go grocery shopping. <laughs> now, Google is great, right? So you can type in Tesco. It shows you like, oh, this is a this is a not so busy period. Yeah. But what what Google's showing you is a normal time at Tesco. So like a regular time, and that's the contextual data they have, right. right? Yeah. So that bar chart you see of not as busy is it's not as busy busy given that they've got. And give it if this was a normal scenario where everyone's going to Tesco at any time of the day, but for a socially distant Tesco, you have to queue outside to get in, and it's a one in one out system. Dear God, it is not quiet. Is not at all. quiet. Exactly. <laughs> quiet is busy. Exactly. <laughs> right. Quiet is busy, and it's like how how would you how can you check that? So um, I mean, I've tried a bunch of different things. Like I've looked at. Um, uh, Twitter just before I go out, no one tweets about the Tesco near me, so that 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 was a dud to begin with. Uh, I tried having a look at live traffic data through Google. Again, not not that accurate because I can like I can people aren't driving; they're going to mm-hmm. walk, um, or take the bus and things like this, right? So it's it's so just it's it's funny because Google of all the companies is the one I expect to be able to make this change because yeah. in in exactly the same time frame they've released something called the COVID nineteen community mobility reports. But basically, right. what they're doing is they're taking uh, um, data from our phones, location data, and they're literally showing communities around the world whether people are complying to the social distancing rules or not. So if yeah. I if I uh, let me let me share this with you now, um, I'll WhatsApp it to you, and then you can. Have a look at um, your. Um, I'll just edit this so it's a bit more seamless. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, WhatsApped it to you. I think it's actually funny if you watch this and then we 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 come back to your complaint again because I think you'll be shocked. Why isn't this in the in the thing? Uh, so if you go to United Kingdom, yeah, download the PDF, and then this is the thing I got Louisa to do, and then just search. Um, I think Essex or Colchester. Uh, well, yours would be. Essex, yeah, yeah just Essex. search Essex, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ravi, what you're looking at now is that Google's obviously clearly got the ability to know the impact on the test. Yeah, for sure, right? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> like you're looking at charts right now that tell you that in Essex, as of the fifth of April, um, when it comes to retail and recreation, the baseline. They they have an they have a concept of the baseline and they have a concept of the fact that on the fifth of April it was down eighty one percent. So yeah. you'd think that they could do something blanket across all locations just to say, well, listen, under social distancing circumstances, what would have been yeah. quiet should actually now be this busy. 
Yeah. Maybe they have. Maybe they have. Right. And I'm just looking at it and being skeptical <laughs> because it's telling me that um, the time I went, it was half as busy as it normally is, which I assume it was. Uh, but actually, I get there and it's like a massive queue. I'm like, oh, right. man. And, and they have this globally. This is, this is not, I mean, you've just downloaded the UK PDF, but, you know, um, uh, one of our colleagues, um, Louisa O'Brien, built a very, very quick PDF parser that was able to extract the data for all of UK. All level. Um, and, I mean, if you if you were to go if you were to go and do this for the whole data, I'd really love a viz that showed you sort of all the different comparisons. So, mm-hmm. if anyone's out yeah, there feeling absolutely. enterprising, uh, get in touch with with Louisa. Um, but it's it's fascinating. These are the kind of opportunities that are sort of coming up, and this data would never have been made publicly available had it not for the, been for this situation. But it now makes you a little bit more aware of this is what Google can do with our data. Um, obviously, yeah. we've given consent. And they're sending it as PDFs rather than CSVs because they know what people will try and do. Um, so they're just trying to make it a little bit more cumbersome if they can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's not going to stop most people. Um, but it's let, funny. Let, let, let. Yeah, go on. It's funny. It, uh, you know, if you if you just step back a little bit and we talk about society as a whole, um, the there's a level of which the businesses that have to keep going, if you think of like food supply and so on and so forth, they are also still going to have impacts. We've seen prices going up in the store, right? And the mm-hmm. people having to increase um, the price of goods, uh, like loo roll. I still have no idea why that was a big trend in the UK. It's now back to normal levels, which is great. Um, <laughs> um, but it's going to make sort of you know the technology giants just even more incumbent because they're the ones with pockets big enough to weather the storm. Mm-hmm. And then secondly. Um, they're probably going to be the ones most ready to capitalize on this. If you look at Amazon, they must be rubbing yep. their hands right now because AWS bills are going to be going up this month because everyone's remote, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, let's not let's not talk about the the, the state their factory workers are in. I right, think that's a whole di- different discussion. That's a separate discussion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so let's move. Let's 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 sort of um, pause on pause on economics for there, um, yeah. and actually move on to education. Right. Uh, I think every single uh, institution has now gone online. They're using a co- whatever combination of Google. Yeah. Um, what's the word? Google Hangouts or yeah. Google Classroom versus yeah. Meet versus. Uh, Zoom or GoToMeeting or whatever else. Brilliant. Is that right? <laughs> uh, Fantastic. In Chelmsford today, oh, fine. it'll be most. Hey Google, a- stop. <laughs> that was funny. So um, uh, Tim's probably going to have edited that out, but we we just had a chunk of where I was going off on about education and, and Google my Google. In. My Google Home just was like, oh, you want to know about the weather in Chelmsford? No, I don't. Yet another example of a service getting more data, because guess what? Everyone's at home. Everyone's home. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, So, yeah, let's let's pivot to to education. Right. Um, uh, You know, everyone's using a combination of Google Classroom, Google Meet, or uh, GoToMeeting, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, all of these different ways of, of of uh, using online and i think a lot of graduations are now happening online as well because the u.s yeah. sort of school system finished finishing in the next couple of months yeah so it's it's funny uh because you know i, I have a i have a history in higher education and not just i went to university but i was an su <laughs> i was an su president um for two years and um 
there was a there was a term called MOOCs, massive on open yeah. online courses, right? So this is like the Coursera's, the Udemy's of the world, right? Um, mm-hmm. And back then, it was it was like a, another revenue stream that universities looked at. They never really took it seriously. It was always like a third rate citizen to the experience that they were pitching of being at on campus. Um, but and here's the big thing: the university spent twenty years kind of researching this stuff. Mm-hmm. And in the last month, nearly every single university has had to go <laughs> online only <laughs> as their primary method. And not only that, it looks like they're going to have to plan the summer term entirely online. So whereas, you know, people were kind of limbering, treating it as a second rate citizen, the Udemy's and the Coursera's of this world who actually pioneered the platforms and made made learning online are massively benefiting right now because they actually fully invested in this philosophy. Whereas universities sure? that, you know, um, didn't are scrambling to buy Teams licenses, you know, uh, Microsoft Teams licenses or Zoom licenses left, right and oh. center. I, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've been uh, privy to a few calls where <laughs> just, just listening to people do sound checks for the first five minutes. It, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, here's here's a remote working tip. I mean, I know we we weren't we're not doing that, but um, right. Ian Baldwin, my colleague, said that they, what they're doing is spending time at the start of every call or webinar going through how to use the tool right. every single time, right? Yeah, because it's so important, right? Because you know you're like, right, we're going to run this this way. Here's how to do things. Here's how we're going to do it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you have to do it, don't you? You can't. You have to bring people with you, and this is something that universities are, um, are trying to do. But then there's a flip side, which is internet access isn't equal. There's an inequality no. in the quality <laughs> the quality of internet connections, right? So you have a concept mm-hmm. where everyone's learning online, but in America, there's a big uh, discussion about the fact that some kids don't have access to good enough internet to be able to do their homework online like they're being asked to do. So you yeah. have you know literal sort of economic inequality that's having an impact on the quality of internet speeds. Here in the Europe, it's not as big a, of an issue because um, compared to America, we have a much better sort of spread of internet and broadband across the whole country because of the way the infrastructures are set up. However, yeah. we still have international students, for example, who are going back to their home countries because of the coronavirus and therefore being impacted. And in universities, international students depending on the institution can account from roughly between 10 to 30% of the students that are particularly I think 60 or 70 in some of the London ones. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm just sort of generalizing universities here, but Mm -hmm. they can count for a large percentage. And when a large percentage of your students can't take part in the course, it puts a real threat on the biggest uh, sort of revenue at it. International students in the UK pay a lot more per student for their education compared to home students because of the way the funding works. Um, American listeners probably will, will, will laugh at that because American education costs a lot more when it comes yeah. to higher education, right? But, um, you know, that is, again, another very interesting thing where we want everyone to have access to education online, and yet the the, the, the plumbing that provides that isn't equal, isn't widespread, and it's, in many cases, not even good enough to have the quality of conversation you and I are having. I mean, 100%. first world problems, I'm... I'm watching a video of you, which is crystal clear. You're listening to my audio again, crystal clear. I'm recording yeah. it all on a lovely laptop and yeah. it's syncing it to the cloud at the same time. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that is that is literally not a setup that even most students uh, have, but yet it's yeah. the most ideal 
setup you need. You know, what we're doing for podcasting is exactly the interaction an academic needs in a seminar, exactly the mm-hmm. interaction mm-hmm. someone needs in a class. Well, right. And I think what was interesting is we've had a discussion, Tanya, that the, the, the quality of your webcam and the quality of your audio and the stability of your internet connection is right. the new dressing smart for work. Right, right. Right. I- it's, it's like dressing smart for work is not <laughs> as important as having good quality audio, good quality um, video. Right. And being, yeah, just being present in that sort of online digital way. Exactly. I think uh, you mentioned Teams earlier. Uh, my favorite news story last week was uh, Azure is full. Yes. Um, so Microsoft Azure, no the, the, space. The, the, cl- the cloud platform, uh, allegedly, uh, this was not confirmed, of course. Why would they confirm it? Um, confirmed by Microsoft, but allegedly they ran out of room. So that there was no more room in the cloud for, for, um, for Azure. Now, the, the funny part of that is, well, you know, th- this brings home the fact that all the cloud is is someone else's computer. Right. Um, so that, that that was quite interesting, but I mean, the thing the thing I'm finding is every every major corporation and company are, are doing this thing where they're offering you know everyone's this is this is a nice inflection point, and we'll come back to this in in the social part. But um, people who are now unemployed or are currently furloughed or whatever else, yeah, they're now in a point where they're thinking, hey, do I need to learn something new to be more employable? Right, and the answer right. is probably yes. They're, they're yeah. probably going to choose the answer yes and try and find what they're supposed to be learning. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is you're now getting people who may might be reticent to dig into a certain topic then choosing to learn something brand new. So, um, so I think so many companies have done this thing where they're like, hey, for the next 90 days or 30 days, have a free license on us or a free training material. Right. And man, like... My favorite tweet, so I tweeted about Tableau's own like 90 days of free e-learning. Great. My favorite quote tweet of that was a guy who was like, I cannot wait to not finish any of the free training that I've just signed up for. And that's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> it's like when there's a Udemy sale and I buy five courses for 10 old, or a pop. Old habits die hard, right? Like It's they... like, oh, I, I want to do this. And then it's like, you've got, you've literally... This, this period of time, the other, the other the social part here is, this period of time is literally, you've got so much time and to do stuff and know that you are in a period where we have to we are we are in control of our time and our sort of um leisure and it's like i'd love to do that if i had more time it's like if you're going to learn the guitar or learn anything new this is the time you're going to do it if you're not going to do it now likely likelihood is you're not going to do this these things right but and, um, and, and 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 there's there's also social social pressure on this right that's the flip side right yeah yeah the, if you if you've got anxiety on on sort of like uh, healthcare or social things, you're not going to be like, oh, I want to go on and go learn the flute. Like that is not the first <laughs> thing on your mind. <laughs> it's very true, and you know, it, my issue with all of this is, um, and I have to be careful how I say this, but um, God forbid um, I get furloughed or something like that, or um, I, you know, I just can't go to work. I don't think the first thing I'd do would be to learn another software product or, you know, sign up for a Udemy course or something like that. And it's for a very simple reason. Um, When something like this happens, it affects not just one person, it affects the whole household. Um, Correct. And for most people, you are living in a household where you live, whether you live with flatmates or your family or one other individual, right? You're kind of going Mm -hmm. through this as a household. For sure. The net effect is actually that in times like this, what you actually do more is spend more time 
sort of reflecting on yourself. Um, you know, one one area Correct. where I think yeah, I have yeah. seen success is journaling has gone through the roof. A lot of people yes. because they're having more time to do mental reflection on on where they are in life, um, where their jobs are. So, you know, yes, people might decide at the end of that journey to pick up software. But if they were yep. going to do that, they were going to do it anyway. You know, the, yes. the motivated people who 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 know they want to do this are doing that anyway. It didn't take coronavirus to sort of bring that opportunity around. And so the opportunities agree. people are going to take are actually going to be about self self worth, self um, you know value, um, a lot of mental sort of challenges. Fitness, for example, that's why fitness is taking off in a big way. People want to benefit themselves. They don't want to benefit. Their employer, if I'm brutally honest, yeah. right? Like, 100%. If you didn't have to go to work, why would you pick up Tableau? <laughs> exactly right. And I completely agree. I, completely I say agree. that as someone who's passionate about Tableau. I'd pick up Tableau even if it wasn't my job. But brutally speaking, I know that many of the people we work with only use the tool they use because they have to, right? Correct. And they exactly. want to save time. It's yes. not that they love the tool. They want to save time. That's why they use Tableau. But given the choice of not having to pick it up, why would they? Right. Why would they? Exactly. And I think, you know, companies like Headspace are doing some great things in this space, right? Like they're, 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 while they still have their paid subscription offering, they have an entire track that's um, focused purely on um, Corona, right? Right. So uh, living, living in a time like this and sort of the things to consider around that time. And I think a lot of people are now taking this opportunity to do that, right? And, and sort of take care of themselves where they can. Uh, but I 100% agree with you. Like the, the impact of this is not just for, for the individual. But for the household, right? Um, so that that's that's quite, I mean, uh, quite important. A better marketing angle would be if, let's say, Tableau said, "Hey, um, we're gonna we're gonna do some courses. Here's all the courses, but we're gonna do a special course where you and your family can get to grips with understanding the coronavirus through data." Right? That I think is something you would do with your family, right? And that's that's sort of the marketing angle that's just missing from a lot of this. You know, just a little bit of context on what people are going through. And seeing how you can help them understand the facts rather than becoming yet another thing someone needs to add on their to-do list. Yeah, I think what's I, I like the I like the point about the education piece, because one of the things so I think that one of the key like heroes on, on social media, at least uh, of this period is uh, the Financial Times, John Byrne Murdoch. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, John Byrne Murdoch is is um, in, in, in the best possible way killing the game with really informative visuals. But I think the most important thing he's doing is alongside everything that he's producing and sharing, and, and and this is this extends to the Financial Times data team as well, who are doing some incredible work and really, um, really yeah, powerful really in in the in the way that they're they're communicating this. But they're educating people along the way. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, um, uh, John uh, made the conscious decision not to do per capita. He's made the conscious decision to look at the uh, different ways of displaying the data, and, and I think that even this week he's pivoted to a seven day rolling average rather than raw new cases right right and and i think what's really interesting is th- this is a really good opportunity to increase that data literacy and vis literacy across mm-hmm. the board as well right and i think that's that's something that they, they in particular are doing well so shouts shouts to the boy john burn murdoch for, for that sort of thing right um as- okay let's let's um let's take another tangent and pivot to healthcare which which seems obvious right it's it's uh <laughs> 
just last night I was, I was out <laughs> at eight o'clock clapping for the national health service um by the way you know the americans think of nhs as something called socialized medicine it's it's a political it's a politicized term in america because of the elections right right yeah, and yeah. so the, the term socialized medicine is being created to kind of create fear about the way we do things here in yeah. in, in the uk um mm-hmm. and because you know it, the healthcare systems in the two countries is very different My, mind you we don't have the best healthcare system in terms of outcomes i think italy probably has one of the best and then sweden as well um so yeah. the scandinavian countries are quite high on that but mm-hmm. at a time where the healthcare system is essentially the front line of dealing with this virus. Um, mm-hmm. In in the first instance, um, you know, treating patients while we don't know have an answer. In the second instance, uh, testing. In the third instance, helping find an answer. Then in the fourth instance, helping deliver the answer. Right. <laughs> so it's yeah. like there's four pillars here. Oh God, I'm talking like Matt Hancock here. But there's four pillars. <laughs> 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 it's good. It's worked. <laughs> amazing uh, there's four pillars to this uh, whole whole strategy right and the healthcare system is going to play an important role every single time and mm-hmm. what has been really interesting is obviously just just looking at the statistics just the other day the national statistics office released updated figures on the death toll and as it transpired um the way we collect data meant there was a misreporting of of of, of death toll on caused by coronavirus because sure. the numbers that we were getting up until a week ago only involved uh, those who were admitted to hospital and then died in hospital. Yes, um, and as a result of that, we weren't getting uh, reported deaths. Um, outside of hospital context, so those who've died in the community. So in the UK, when you die in the community, that essentially means you might have died in a care home or in a, a, one of these sort of hospices that exist outside of the system. Mm-hmm. Those aren't actually recorded by the NHS because they're not supported. Uh, they're not part of the NHS. Typically, they're normally private or charity funded. And so just statistically, getting a very simple number out of the system has proved yeah. to have taken a month because of the lag that requires to collect, analyze, check that data, and then report it as official statistics. Yeah. And that's been a really on, interesting kind of challenge. I think on top of that, you've also got the fact that the, the, da- the data that's being reported globally isn't the same. Right. So, for example, that exists not just in the UK, but that exists in every other country. As well as on top of that, you've got the difference in the way that it's reported, right? Right. How, how many of these people are directly coronavirus versus any other affiliated um, disease, right? Right. All of these different things, like everyone has the different ways of defining that. And I think everyone, uh, I think there's there's a few, this, this can be, again, turned into political football and sort of peddling the stats and snake oil uh, lies, damn lies, and the statistics sort of thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but ultimately, it comes down to, you know, some information is better than no information. Um, and and this, this is, again, like well, as we said before, this is a time where the data we're collecting is so important. Like there's an app that's gone around, which is done by one of our customers, Guys in St. Thomas, uh, among other uh, charities and institutions where you can self-report. So there's an app that, and, and again, this is spread through word of mouth, but it's not as widespread as it should be. And I don't think people are logging their status per- personally as much as they could be. Right, right. right. So right. for example, like th- th- these could really help to add to the the models and start finding out. Now, Alongside this, I, the, the other thing that I think, in my opinion, is being led bare is uh, for, for, for the NHS in particular, 
is the technological lag versus the private sector. So, for example, um, the, the, the systems that they're using aren't perhaps the cutting edge systems they could be using. For example, mm-hmm. you know, when, when they're building models out and doing this data collection, there could be so many smarter ways of doing it. But given the underfunding nature of it and sort of the uh, technology lag that they right. face because of security and mm-hmm. all of these things they have to have in place, given the, the sensitivity of the data they use, they're not able to, right? So, for example, with um, if you want to create a model, they could use software like Data Robots to right, do that, right. to deploy that and ingest it and do it at scale. Yeah, but they can't, right? Because it's 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 an expensive product and it's it's sort of aimed for big banks in the private sector. Exactly, exactly. I mean, one of the most one debate that's really frustrated me actually is, is testing, because um, journalists in the UK are just literally driving me up the wall at the moment uh, because you know at a time where we need really good questions to be asked they're asking some of the most inane questions Agreed. i've ever come up with 100 um, you know journalists that i've respected are just coming out with really poor follow-up questions because they evidently don't understand how data works and they don't understand more importantly the context behind every number. So testing has been mm-hmm. a, a big topic and I've been getting really frustrated. Um, you know, I'm getting visibly frustrated now <laughs> um, because there's this constant reference to the German healthcare system and its ability to do so many tests. And what every single journalist seems to just ignore is the context, right? Why is yeah. it that Germany can do so many tests? Well, it turns out they're one of the few countries that was meticulously well-prepared by coincidence, to be able to handle the amount of tests they they run. Their healthcare system is set up completely differently. Each of the 16 uh, federal states makes their own uh, decisions. So you Mm -hmm. get really good regional responses, whereas here in the UK, it's been argued that social distancing is really unfair in quiet communities where people social distance anyway because the, the, the population numbers are so low right yeah. um, so it's been unfair because you know of what it what it, the positive impact on london has a negative impact on i don't know fife in scotland if i take that as a quiet town somewhere in, in scotland yeah. right the other thing is all of the testing capabilities coincidentally germany is a hub for this stuff they've got so many companies private companies mm-hmm. that are specialized in the testing equipment and the chemicals required to do the testing. It's a bit like asking, well, why is your grass greener? Oh, it's just because I happen to have a plot of land on some really rich soil. That's basically what it equates, equates to. Correct. But no one, no one is saying that in their questions. People just expect the UK to magically turn into this uh, Correct. company. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and again, not, not to get too political, but more, one of my favorite sort of, um, comments from someone who, who was in Germany was, uh, in, the German, in the German system, we don't clap for NHS. We, we we show our appreciation by funding it. Yeah, and, exactly. And f- f- fundamentally, that is exactly right, right? We, we talked about this a bit earlier in the pod, and it's sort of like, well... Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. You put your money where your mouth is, right? Let's stop clapping, and, and, let's start funding it. God. And, you know, we've got this concept of key workers now in the UK, and it's like, well, yeah, let, let's actually start put paying our money proper into... money, yeah. Paying people in the supply chain, paying people in the factories, paying people who are... Uh, you know, doing doing like post post postal workers, all yeah. of these people that are still going in and putting their lives at risk, right? Um, and by doing so, and it's more than just pay. It's it's uh, something that's come out 
uh, from a lot of healthcare professionals is, is that they feel suddenly valued. Like they were never in it for the money. Um, but no, hundred percent. The, the no. biggest, do- well, yeah, the biggest benefit for most of the people who are working in in this healthcare system has actually been the fact that for once their their profession, their industry, has being recognised by society as being vital. Mm-hmm. You know, people going out of the way to send them food, and this is this is generosity they've never seen in their profession but for many of them it's why they went into that profession because mm-hmm. they wanted to be that kind of person in society and this is a job that allowed them to do that um and so there's also that context that you know i think people people aren't bringing into this and again i really hope that like like you eloquently sort of highlighted there that we stop clapping for the nhs when this is all over and we really start to take a long look at not just the nhs but all healthcare provision and start funding it so we have the kind of system mm-hmm. that we want next time this 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 kind of event comes around every 50 years apparently yeah yeah, yeah exactly and, and and it will right it will it, it's it's not it's not um it's not going to be something that just disappears and you know if you <laughs> there are so many studies i found i was sent a study from 2007 which talks mm-hmm. about covid19 mm-hmm. like 2007 um but yeah, let, let's let's let, let's let's move on to, to thinking about the data analytics directly if, about, about around healthcare. Bit, uh, what, what are your thoughts on the sort of the opportunities and ideas that could come up from here? So um, uh, there's an interesting there's an interesting uh, concept. I talked about four pillars. One of them being uh, finding the cure and then delivering the cure. The there's an interesting project called Folding at Home, which sounds like a really mm-hmm. weird name. And basically what it is, it's a community sourced project where um, you essentially lend your computing power to uh, a project. And that project mm-hmm. basically uses the computational power um, of your computer to process protein molecules and simulate them so that they can help find cures to diseases, right? And so one of the really important aspects of uh, this whole coronavirus thing is that in order to find the solution, what scientists have to do is simulate protein chains um, really, really quickly. And AI is actually the key way of doing this. So uh, what literally happens is you take a protein molecule, you simulate its shape, and then you interact with the thing you're trying to solve. And you basically simulate using physics, just raw physics, you simulate how those two in- things interact given a bunch of variables. And by simulating that, you can actually find much, much faster than doing the actual tests yourself, um, possible cures uh, for coronavirus. So I've had this running on my computer, actually. Every time I walk away from my computer, um, it uses the graphics processor and the um, six cores of my CPU. I have eight cores Mm -hmm. on there, so it uses six of the eight cores. And I'm processing protein chains on behalf of this project. And this project went from having about... 30,000 people donating their computing power globally to about 400,000 in the space of two weeks. And they've had really sort of funny challenges Um, because they had so many people join the project. um, They're actually working through a lot of the, 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 they're called work units. Work units are tasks essentially, much, much faster. But also companies like uh, Microsoft, Intel are starting to donate computing power to, to this course because they're realizing A, it's getting traction, but B, it's actually starting to solve problems and researchers can then use this data to quickly analyze stuff. So we're basically doing the legwork initially so that someone in can can come in and do the analysis. And it's literally uh, sort of things like this 
which are happening at scale. These, this is a community-run initiative. There are private initiatives as well, doing the same thing, benefiting off the same data. And technology is going to be the forefront of how we solve this, whether it's you know, China doing <laughs> the way they track people. <laughs> you know, that's been yeah. lauded as right? a, a su- su- successful technique to, to, to manage social distancing using technology to do it in a smart way. Um, mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, surveillance. That's, that's always a topic that comes up, but won't go into yeah. it, but always a topic that comes up. There's other instances in China, again, where you know they're using robots to do cleaning activities using ultraviolet light. The idea there being is that you don't have to put someone at risk in order to do that. So robots mm-hmm. are being repurposed around the world to basically go around hospitals using UV lights to clean and sterilize entire floors in a very quick and efficient way, in a way that a cleaner could never do, um, just using sort of everyday sort of tools. Um, And so we're seeing the emergence of technology being um, maybe uh, hastily adopted, but in many ways doing good, at least for now. And the, the key question remains is, you know, when this is all over, Will those initiatives still be there? Will surveillance still be there? And it <laughs> always happens, right? In America, you had the uh, Terrorism Act brought in uh, after mm-hmm. 9-11. It's still there, and it's still used yeah, yeah. today. They never took it away exactly. once, it, once they brought it in. So, and right. same, the same here in the UK. These initiatives, once they're there, while they become very difficult to remove, because as a mechanism, it's kind of convenient, and you can use it again and again and again. Correct. Correct. I, th- I think this, this is a good time to pivot to social distancing and talk right. about the people impact of things, right? Right. Um, so social distancing is is the concept of sort of staying two meters away from people when you're out and about and right. um, not going, just staying at home and only, only going out for, for um, uh, what's the word? Essential activities. O- only going out for essential activities, exactly. And um, trying to find ways for to police this, I guess, and also share that news, right? So, I, I mean, I don't own a television. Uh, sorry, sorry, I own a television. I don't have. I don't pay for the TV license. I right. use streaming services instead. Um, so, for me, how, how am I getting the public news broadcast? Well, you know, I've got I've got social media. So, I've got Twitter. I've got YouTube. Beyond that, like if 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 you know, we we're sent into total lockdown, and I've spent the entire three day period over Easter, right? Playing playing games on my PlayStation, not checking social media, having a complete break from that. Right. I have no idea. Like there is nothing that tells me that apart from maybe I'll get a message or something like that. Do you not get the but letter, Ravi? I've not got the letter actually. I, got I, I don't have. Okay, well I haven't got the letter. I've not had post for about Street. a week now. Hey, look, I'll show you. Official Dan's Downing Street letterhead. It's signed by so Boris. Did- it arrived when he was admitted <laughs> into intensive care, which made the signature a little bit disingenuous, but. <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad he's on the road to recovery uh, um as it is um, on, a, on a more serious note but um yeah for sure it, you know snail mail is basically what the government sent to, to update everyone right there's there's like, why are we why are we not all like for like why are we not all forced to have an app on our phone why are we not getting push notifications from a government app why are we not getting text messages from the because government? I, mean, I, I think because people do do you remember when we had the discussions in the uk about uh digital identities right um, yeah uh, they i think this idea of a national identity card with yeah. biometrics got got canned because i think the company behind building the system has actually been found to have had sort of really bad data breaches and and leaks and so the whole thing got canned for a long period of time um if you look at the nhs if you look at the nhs they actually do have an app 
you can sign up and look at your own medical records from your general practitioner there as well. Mm -hmm. The people always have irrational fears about this. I say irrational because in a broad sense, um, there's other ways of getting the same data. But I think, you know, once you have an app on your phone that's run by the government, it starts to get a little bit, I mean, even I'd personally be a little bit uncomfortable, for example, the first time it asks, it asks for my location, uh, access to my location, right? Because it's just, there's just something different when it's the government tracking your location compared to a third-party company. You can go to stop paying Bring for delete one. off your phone. Exactly. Um, when it's a government, I think people rightly have a little bit more bit of suspicion of what happens with that data. That said... In certain situations, it's a useful mechanism for communicating with people, and I think mm-hmm. it should be explored. It should be explored. There should be uh, these press briefings again. Really uh, irritate me. Um, I kind of wish they didn't have journalists on this press briefing. Honestly, I know it's called the press briefing for a reason, but I wish it was actually called a national address and but questions I, I from agree. the public I think, came through. I, I yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like you're absolutely right. I think that the, the reason that there's sort of uncertainty is the government isn't ever really held to account. Well, it hasn't been at least for the last 10 years right. by the, by the, by the media. Right. So if the media is not holding them to account, then well, of course, of course people aren't going to trust the media. Right. So right. Because, because now there's also media in the case of other, so you can subscribe to the media that so it follows your views. So right. you, you always feel gratified and correct. Right? That's why people go to the Guardian versus the Daily Mail versus the Sun versus all of these. You know, you yeah. go to the one that reinforces your beliefs and you go to the correct. one where the writing style suits your suits your mindset. And that's why they all exist happily in an ecosystem, because there's mm-hmm. enough variety there in what we all expect to read and want to see. Um, For sure. So, so the things, things that have changed with social distancing, I think, as I mentioned earlier today, like shopping habits have changed. Uh, I think it's what's really funny as I was speaking to a couple, a couple of friends they are like, man, so well, normally I'd buy my dinner on the way home. Like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I'd stop at the Sainsbury's and pick up what I'm having for dinner that night. It's like, so what are you doing now? He's like, well, I have to plan my meals. Yeah. So it's, it, it's, it's true. It's, it's that, true. You know, especially it's, in it's London, change. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's a whole change in everything. I mean, I'm noticing it. I, I'm spending on average two times what I normally spend when I go to Tesco for two reasons, because mm-hmm. I'm buying for longer periods of time. If I have to queue for 20 minutes to get in. I don't want to go as often as I can. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm walking in and not only am I walking in, I'm not stockpiling anything, but I'm also thinking, ah, yes, that would be nice to have in case, you know, this whole mm-hmm. in case methodology turns up whilst you're browsing the shelves, right? If it keeps for yep. five months, I'll buy it just in case, you know, at some point mm-hmm. in the next two months, I decide to bake cookies, which is something I apparently did today. I bought cookie, <laughs> cookie, cookie uh, chips because I thought I might make cookies in the next two weeks. I have no plan to. Just, I might, <laughs> I might do it. <laughs> it's choice, right? You want the, you want, you want the, the, the choice uh, to be available for you to do it, right? It's, I think that's, it's, that, it's, that's the thing that people are finding hardest, I think. It's crazy. Uh, the, the fact... The fact that that choice is taken away from you, that you can't just go to the shop and be like, hey, I fancy jelly today. Yeah. I'm going to go buy uh, that, right? And on the flip side, you know, we joke about sort of, you know, our choices and the choices we have. On the flip side, there are people in society, unfortunately, who don't have those choices. Um, things Correct. like food banks uh, and so on and so forth, who are struggling to serve the amount of people, especially given the increase in unemployment and furlough, are struggling to get the food to the people they need to 
um in -hmm. this in this scenario and i was i was saying to my brother um he 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 works um in the government civil service um scheme and i was talking to him about this concept of um i think you touched on it earlier before we started of universal um basic income but also this idea of a communist sort of system which is almost like you know this is actually the perfect time to just say whoa everybody just stop stockpiling stuff let's put a little bit of control on our resources here Mm -hmm. and give equal access to everyone and the elderly those who need it the most let's just ensure everyone a bit like in liverpool where they've taken homeless people off the streets so so what i like i mean the us based income is exactly right right now would be the perfect time right people are furloughed but you want to give them disposable income so they can spend money to help other businesses keep going right that is fundamentally what um, universal basic income is so andrew yang in the us um i followed his uh, campaign quite closely because he sort of follows a lot of sort of the the tech focused views that I have mm-hmm. um, uh, that for running and sort of modernizing the way the government's run. What was interesting is he was like, well, you rebrand universal basic income as the freedom dividend in the US and they love it. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. Pay me for being free. Um, and it's exactly the same concept. Yeah. And I think I think universal basic income has, has, has this unfortunate branding problem where it's it's been sort of given this idea and it is fundamentally everyone just sees it as communism and socialism it's in that when really when really it's it could be such a big benefit especially right now yeah it's i think it's innate to our human nature right no one wants to be seen to be given handouts be every you know everyone wants to everyone wants to earn their place Uh, it's it's this sort of everyone wants to be a secret hero everyone wants to just feel valued and you know the the term universal basic income just sounds like a handout right and therefore people automatically whilst whilst they're happy to benefit from it feel a little bit uneasy because it's just like well this is different this isn't what i was taught all my life you know (laughs) But, but, but 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 fundamentally imagine imagine the society where you, you, we, we're all getting what five thousand pounds extra a year, yep. which is universal basic in- yep. income. Now we're getting that, and now we we're in this situation. I want to give half of that to the NHS directly, mm-hmm. and that is a mechanism you can do. Yep. Like it's, it's creating these tools and levers for people to actually be able to impact and and do that in, in this time where where they, some a lot of people do feel helpless. You know, they do, they don't have that ability to to make that small differences right like you and i have both read nudge the end uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> do you know how that that turns out nudge is a great book if anyone's not had a chance to read it um who's the author is it daniel kahneman or am uh, I, am I no just... it's um cass and sunstein yes okay yeah 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 exactly so i'm confusing books thinking fast and slow is the other one that i was yeah kahneman about. kahneman's that one yes yeah, and thaler and sunstein's not cass right right yeah, um, i'm getting my behavioral economists mixed up again <laughs> <laughs> oh man they must be having a field day right now right this, oh, this mate, is this, literally this is behaviorally right. like behavioral scientists full stop never mind behavioral um economics, I love it. um in itself so yeah it's funny how it's funny how this is going to have such a big impact on society um and and how you know I, I i love i love for the people who've been working at home all their lives nothing has changed for them and so so nothing's changed for you tim (laughs) (laughs) broadly speaking i mean i'm quite used to this i already had a good setup at home and what is what is what is difficult i think is people adapting to this world when they weren't set up for it especially if you've got family at home i mean it's easy for me to work from home i haven't i don't have a child um i haven't uh you know uh 
I haven't had to like overcome some of the challenges that people are having to overcome yeah. because I'm not at that same point in life. So whilst it's okay for me to say, yes, I can work from home and I have been for a while and this, I'm used to this. Yes. But I don't have a family. I don't have all these other challenges that will transpire if you're living with more people. So, for sure, yeah, yeah. Um, I think we do have to take a little bit of a longer look as well. Uh, looking back to last week, you know, companies will have to rethink how they manage that. And um, because going forward, people aren't just going to want to go back to work. People are going to want to work from home. They've proved that they can work from home for three months, and you've trusted them to do that. So it's no longer a question about trust and social norms. It's now simply a question of are your policies up to date or not? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think I think the, the thing you're, you're seeing changes habits, right? So yeah. the, the fact is, um, people's habits are changing right now. I think we, we've talked, we've talked a bit about like the, the Amazon, like delivery service um, before, like the fact that that's probably the most, <laughs> they're doing so well right now. Yeah. Um, but people are getting used to that on demand um, gr- um, shopping. Like I think we're going to get so many more people doing online grocery shopping now. You get so many more people doing uh, breaking those habits they used to have about you know going out for lunch and things like this that they wouldn't have done before. Yeah. Um. So it's 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 th- this is a great time to break those habits. So like those people that wouldn't be using uh, Hangouts or Teams or all these other softwares. Yeah. Uh, exactly. You're breaking these habits and changing the way people think because you know it's it's not no longer that um, CAR model we talked about, which is um, cue action response. Right. Yeah. You're then having to break that cycle and you have to create new habits. Yeah. Exactly. And it's it's funny because um, with Ocado is probably Ocado and all these online delivery systems. It's it's kind of funny because um, Ocado is one of the few supermarkets that has an entirely automated um, warehouse, and by that I mean they don't have a single person that picks your shopping for you. It's all done through a robotic system. So the bottleneck for a company like Ocado hasn't been. Uh, picking the food and getting it into the right baskets. It's been the mm. number of drivers they have to actually deliver uh, that stuff. And so yeah. um, that's going to be a really interesting dynamic because touching on that, the companies that are best suited to respond to this are already semi-automated. You know, Amazon yeah. has some semi-automated warehouses. They can just keep stuff going without a single person. And even if they need people, they have very few. So social distancing works perfectly fine. Look at a data yeah. center. Literally the best place to work if you're socially distancing yourself. There's only about 10 people in a single data center. No one yeah. else can go in. <laughs> and the, the place is so vast that you could all work. And it's so clean. Like, yeah, it's so clean as well. They, they, they're, they're incredibly clean. That's, where, that's why Apple and all these companies are sourcing masks, because inherently their production and data centers require this level of cleanliness that actually works for you know, healthcare mm-hmm. purposes. And so... The companies that are responding to this in a strong way, unfortunately, aren't the ones we should be looking at in the future because they're probably going to make more people unemployed if they carry on with their with their, their, the, sort of their automated approach. And so this concept of universal basic income becomes even more prevalent because the companies that are keeping us up going now, Deliveroo, all these ones, the back-end systems don't require people in an office. They're yeah. entirely remote. I mean, you're seeing this already. Like, I, I was I was calling a government agency last weekend, and then foolishly forgot that obviously, no no one's going to pick up the phone because they all work in call centers, and right. uh, no one's going to a call center right now because it's probably not a great place to be. Yeah. But then I was thinking, well, I might, you know, one one of my banks that I have, they they sent me an email being like, no, our all call centers still running because every, every one of our workers is now working from home and doing it that way. Yeah. Right. So they had the software. 
you're going to find these two things, right? First of all, you're going to get people who are doing their jobs then remotely, which is going to create and enhance the gig economy in a massive way. Yeah. I could be spending the morning answering phones and the afternoon doing babysitting, right? right? All of these different things, right? You're able to start combining. Problem you're and the trying second to thing is, yeah. and then the second thing is you're going to get chatbots and AI start to pick up things as well. So this is a huge in China, right? WeChat is absolutely massive. It has integration for days. Like you, from WeChat, you can order food, tell them what you want, and then tell them where you live, and that's all done automatically. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's gonna people are gonna seriously start looking into those features. Yeah. Because as as we said, e-commerce is doing probably the best in this yeah. situation. Yeah. Um. But even then, and uh, it, even then, it's funny because um. When we when we talk about WeChat in the Western world, people always, I think we always think, oh, that's that's what they use in China, right? Like, um, and we don't ever have a concept of well, what kind of scale does we WeChat have compared to all these other services, and mm-hmm. it's actually quite big, um, given that it's predominantly used in one geography. Okay, it has close to a billion monthly users. Okay. And you might look at Facebook, well, Facebook has 2 billion, um, you know, services like WhatsApp has 1.2 billion. So you think, oh, what's um, what's uh, 1 billion compared to 1.2 billion? Well, the difference is, is WhatsApp is global, whereas WeChat mm-hmm. is just one country. So in the context of China, specifically where this is heavily used, that's a phenomenal amount of penetration. That's, that's, that's higher levels of penetration than you'd ever think is normal in a single society. Um, yeah. And if you look at WhatsApp um, in the UK, for example, it doesn't have anywhere near the kind of penetration that WeChat Definitely has. Definitely not. Um, in, in but then WhatsApp in, in, in Africa and in, in Asia, for sure. Has very strong, Massive. Yeah. And, yeah. I've, and, and this is why WhatsApp put in restrictions on the amount of forwarding you can do. Yeah. Because <laughs> in, uh, Ameri- in, in America is pretty big. Yeah. Um, I'm exactly. Every, every single... Um, country and localization has their own sort of mechanism that everyone sort of uses it and it's mm-hmm. fascinating to see um i think that the, my, my fate might i mean in india it's fascinating because everyone ha- will have a mobile phone yeah. not everyone has a landline yeah. everyone has access to internet and data yeah and then this becomes their primary source of work like yeah. I, I was I, I was you know book, booking some travel when i was in kenya and Everything was done via via WhatsApp. It was fascinating. Yeah, yeah. You've got services like M-Pesa in Kenya, which is mobile payments. I mean, mm-hmm. we laugh about mobile banking here in the UK, but honestly, the UK or the Western world has nothing on what uh, services like M-Pesa are doing in Africa. It's it's really revolutionized mobile mm-hmm. payments, and they're just using simple things like text messages. It's not even yeah. like you know breakneck technology um, yeah. it, it, or contactless. None of that. It's it's really sort of groundbreaking use of very old systems that everyone can use to make payments. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinating. Right, we've got one more topic on the list, which is the climate, and I think this is probably a more. It's, it's a feel note. good. Yeah, this is a it's feel a feel good, good right? <laughs> and I, so, coronavirus and the climate. What do you think? Oh, well, what are the what are the connections? Well, it's the positive impacts actually of the fact that you know. We're using transport 80% less. So things like CO2 emissions, uh, the climate, the air, the waterways, they're all becoming cleaner. And I I put this in here because, you know, maybe first I'll touch on a few stories that we're seeing. Um, There's a, I put a link in the show notes to someone took a photo in Venice of the waterways and they were shocked at A, how clear the waterways actually are. 
and there's no boat um, kind of making it dirty, as it were. And then since that's happened, we've now had fish and dolphins returning back to the waterways in places where people have never seen dolphins before, because these are just their natural habitats when, um, you know, when the water's clean, when, when, when it's not sort of overpopulated by humans, in, es- in essence. Um, in London and China, we've seen air quality uh, improve massively because, again, transport is down 80%. And some of these are going to have long-lasting um, sort of impacts, um, yeah. at least um, uh, for this year. I mean, re- relatives of, of mine in India have sent me the, well the same, well similar pictures of, yeah. of from Punjab, uh, where you can see um, the Himalayas for the first time in hundreds of years. They said right. about hundred years they've not seen it as clearly. Right, like, no one has seen it, it, it for ages, and then everything's cleared up because. People aren't going out. People are staying home. All of these different sort of mechanisms and right. people are social distancing. We're not flying as much, right? We're not, right. we're not traveling as much. All of these yeah. are like petrol. All of these things are, are dropping, dropping, dropping. And suddenly uh, it, it's, 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 it's healing and it's really, really cool. I mean, the thing, I live next to our main road. So what's fascinating is in the last three days, the amount of traffic going through is increased. And I think that is because of the extended Easter break. But... The last three weeks, oh man, like when you get to the evening from about six o'clock onwards, nothing. Right. No one's out and about. It's like a right. Sunday afternoon. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's a fascinating outcome of all of this. Um, at the very beginning of the episode, I, I talked about um, sort of uh, different um, impacts of the past. So I talked about financial crisis, Spanish flu, energy crisis. Just to give some context, um, if we just take the Second World War, um, the yearly change in global emissions uh, during the Second World War, 1944 to 45, mm-hmm. was uh, roughly about 800 million tons a decline in CO2 emissions. Um, now, the coronavirus, compared to that, is going to be about one and a half thousand million tons. I think that's technically <laughs> a billion. I don't know that if I'm going to do an American billion or a UK billion. Yeah. Like, right? <laughs> it depends where you are. So I'll just say one and a half thousand million tons of CO2 decline just in the period that we've been locked down for. Um, and so what's interesting about climate is, number one, if you're doing a survey right now about um, populations of wildlife or certain species, well, this has pretty much buggered up your results because you were expecting uh, to be doing it in a circumstance where you know, things weren't so good. But on the flip side, I'm really hoping that people are collecting data because this is a rare opportunity to know what actual impact we have on the world, right? You were never going to be able to ask people to not go to work for a week to just measure what the the drop in CO2 levels is. But if you have all these testing initiatives out, you've been able to see the gradual decline and then see how long it's taking wildlife to come back. Those measurements... Those measurements are vital because for so long we have theories about what are the positive impacts of doing X versus Y and electric cars versus mm-hmm. Y. But n- we've never had the data to show uh, the decline and then the impact and then the consequence. And here's an opportunity naturally given to us to do exactly that. Exactly. And I think that it will help so much with the, the, the fight for the new green deal and all these different things that we're doing. Right. Around, around um, climate change and making sure that the global the global warming crisis isn't sort of exacerbated in the next fifty years, right? It's, it's like it's funny, like fifty years time is we're either going to be hit by another killer virus 
or the earth will be like burnt to a crisp or something right, similar, right? Right. Or yeah. like rising sea levels. And we're we're pretty lucky. At, I I hate to use this 100%. word. I hate to use this word on the coronavirus, but it, in terms of its mortality compared to viruses of the past, it's a fairly low, fairly low. I mean, the this, technological advances of the today, right? Compare yeah. that to the to, to the Spanish flu. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and um, so, in in some respects, we're lucky that this hasn't had as high mortality rate. But my God, is it a, an awakening of what we need to do and. We need to take more lessons than just the healthcare uh, impacts, the economic impacts. We need to also it's look social. at the climate and say, well, listen, we did actually figure out how to work remotely um, for three months. What if in order to save our climate, we didn't do necessarily that, but we started to implement rules and restrictions, like a simple one I, I, I was talking to my brother Hibernating, about. mate. <laughs> Hibernating would be one, but a simple one would be to ask all businesses um, to have 30% of their workforce work remotely at any given time, right? And so that would naturally force, reduce, just reduce um, the use of transport by 30%. And um, then on the flip side of that, you'd reduce strain. You maybe wouldn't have to invest as much on transport because you'd reduce the Correct. strain of the system. And then you mm -hmm. could invest that money into healthcare instead. I mean, I'm just talking spitballing economics here. I'm just I'm doing linear correlations between stuff like this one. <laughs> Which is not how it works, I'm sure. But these are the kind of really sort of bold decisions. We now have an opportunity. These are the opportunities we now have to, to, to sort of take advantage of this and, and, and see, see, see where things go. Yeah. Hundred percent. I think again. I think that's a great place to sort of finish. But right, um, right. I mean, if we, if we follow the what, so what now? What, what I mean, the, the <laughs> now is like we don't, we don't know what. We have next. no idea. No idea. Who knows? Uh, no one. No one knows. And in some ways, that's good because it shows that as a you know, as people, we can react fairly quickly to these things and, and come up with an answer. And I hope when we reflect, we'll we'll, we'll think we've done the right thing. Um, the, 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 there's also a return on community spirit and there's so many positives you can look at in this right. right you've got you've got you know people consider being so considerate of others like i said the key workers sort of championing and it's it's and the climate there's so many yeah. positives coming mm -hmm. out of this and it's just making sure that we maintain and sustain those exactly uh, yeah moving forward all right so so that was a bumper podcast from us team i think that was an hour-long special um <laughs> just over i think do, do do send do send us some um feedback and thoughts um any any positives that you've seen in your your industry in your world uh, over the last month or two uh so that's at dayton pod on twitter and our email tim uh dayton podcast at gmail.com fantastic uh so everyone take care and uh we'll see you in, in a couple of weeks absolutely take it easy <laughs>